still in Romans. So if you would uh, open your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to chapter 12. We learned last week that we're to be a living sacrifice to God. It's our, our response to all that we've been learning in chapters 1 through 11. Paul said in verse 1 of chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's a therefore type response to the truth. You've been learning, therefore, it's time to apply what you've learned. I call it, it's due time. Uh, Like Nike says, just do it. And that's our goal for our message this morning. We learn that we walk worthy of God and His mercies doing three things. The first is to give your body as a living sacrifice. We'll be, be talking about how we do that in our message this morning. Number two, to renew your mind uh, through prayer, uh, spending time in God's Word, through worship. And today's message says that it's time to humble your heart and learn to be a team member. We're part of a team together. This next section of Romans 12 might be labeled, Serve God with Spiritual Gifts, verses 3 through 8. Now we're going to read verses 3 through 5 to begin our message this morning, but we're going to do something a little different. And I Keep wondering if we should do it, but I'm going to move right on. I want us to read responsively. Now, I'll read the white print and you read the yellow, okay? Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Well, let's start with verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. To think objectively, honestly, to humble ourselves. It's seeing myself not as others see me, not even seeing myself as I see me, but how does God see me? This will help me to answer several questions. What is my identity in Christ? What part do I play in the fellowship of believers? And where do I fit in? In verse 3, it says, Think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Well, we're the children of God by faith. He loves each of us equally. Even so, it says here, our God sees us as individuals when he dispenses to each of us our own measure of faith. Verse 3 says, to each one a measure of faith. This means that God directs my Uh, God directs me through enabling me and my faith. 
Now, this thought of of faith takes me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'd like for you to turn in your own Bibles, keep your finger there in Romans 12, but look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Now, to keep from confusing us, I want you to be able to look at your own Bible, but also to look up here, so you'll be kind of glancing back and forth. And I'll have the passage up here for those of you that don't have your Bibles. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's focus for a moment on verse 8 and the word faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. We all think that our faith is just maybe another skill or activity that belongs to me. That we can conjure or summon up our faith whenever we need it. In verse 8, we see that faith is God's work in us. It might be God's work, you say, but it's my faith, right? Well, let me quote John John Corson. He says this, God says specifically that even the faith it took to be saved is not of ourselves. Why? Because dead men don't have faith. Verse 1 of this chapter in Ephesians says, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. What part did I have in my salvation, you might ask? None, John says. The faith you finally exercised to receive Jesus Christ was faith that God himself put in your heart. The entire orb of salvation is totally due to God's grace. We become worshipers now and eternally because his work in us and for us is truly Amazing, amazing grace. Back to Romans 12, verse 3. Keep your finger there in Ephesians. Paul tells us to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. We're provided, see the word dealt? Provided the measure of faith that God has given us to meet our intended service for him. Now, this is our first statement in the back of the bulletin, if you, if you fill in those blanks. Whatever God has specifically created you to be or to do has been carefully measured out to you for your success. God has given each of us the body, mind, emotions, personality, temperament, even the measure of faith needed for our role, our place of service in his kingdom. Number two in our bulletin. Faith, however, is not a quality, a virtue, or a faculty. It is not something man can produce. It is simply a trustful response that is itself evoked by the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus told us, uh, uh, recorded in the Gospel of John, that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Since Ephesians 2 verse 1 tells us, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's the Holy Spirit who touches our spirit or who convicts this dead spirit of ours. The Spirit evokes a response, arouses a response through through creation, that's nature, through our conscience that he gave us, through our culture, and through the law that God writes on the hearts of mankind. So that, as God said in chapter 1, they are without excuse. We learned all of that in chapters 1 and 2 of Romans. Paul explains that nothing is of our own doing, but everything is a gift of God. One Bible scholar put it this way, the whole process for salvation comes from nothing that we have done or that we could do. Well, now back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, most likely the word that connects to faith, connects to being saved. In fact, connects to every part of our salvation. Telling us that these three things are not of ourselves. They don't come within, from within me. They're gifts from God. Then Ephesians 2 goes on to say in verse 9, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if salvation is by the sheer unmerited favor of God, my boasting is altogether out of place. My friend Sandy Adams says this, Our salvation had nothing to do with our performance, our goodness, our righteousness, our righteous deeds, or noble heritage. Paul declares, and that not of ourselves but it's a gift of God. It's prompted by grace and flows from God's heart. It's a gift I receive. Now, continuing to focus on Ephesians chapter 2, Paul continues to tell us why not only our salvation, but even our works and service for the Lord are gifts from Him. Look at verse 10 in Ephesians 2. For we are His workmanship, were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has created me. I'm his workmanship, his handiwork. Each of us has a different role to play in the family of God. Because of this, God has equipped us individually, created us for good works. With that said, let's leave Ephesians now and go back to Romans 12. And we'll settle in where Paul says in verse 4 of Romans 12. For as we have many members in one body. Many members. Well, that refers to you and me. To each of us as individuals. God didn't use a cookie cutter to make us in his image. We are individuals. That means that I don't have to be just like you. 
I can be me. Well, I know what you're thinking. I can read your minds. Yeah, you don't have to be like me either. Touche. All right. There are many members, but the Lord tells us here through Paul, look at, look at verse 4, there are many members in one body. <laughs> you and I are attached. Together, we're a blend of unity and diversity, but we make up one body, the body of Christ. Working together as one, each of us performs a function of Christ's body here on earth. See what Paul says next? For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. One body, with each body part called a member that does its job, its function. So I started thinking about my gingerbread man here, and I thought, well, some of us are the brain. There are people who deeply think about God's Word, who ponder the deep things of God. There are the eyes and the mouth and the heart. Now, I have to admit, I'm probably more the mouth than I am the heart. But we're the hands, we're the feet of Jesus in our home, our job, school, our neighborhood, and especially here as we're seen in this chapter, we're part of the body of Christ, the church. This church. Verse 5. So we being many, now there are followers of Jesus in every nation around the world. We're learning. If you're connected with, with anybody, especially my son, there are Youth for Christ workers in Ukraine that we're praying for as they've been reaching students for Jesus in that country for several years. Someone said to me, well, if God has called them there to minister to the people there, then should they stay while the people have to leave? Or should they, should they leave while the people have to stay? Or should they be staying and facing the same dangers? We need to pray for these people. They're part of the body of Christ. They belong to you and me. Verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ. We are many, but we're connected. You can travel around the world and find immediate kinship with other Christians. And the only thing that hampers the fellowship and the love that you can feel between each other might be the language. Just as blood flows through our physical body, the Holy Spirit flows within us, between us, and unites us. Finishing verse 5. We're individually members of one another. Individually. In Christ we're united, but we maintain our individuality. Each member contributes to the whole by using the gift that God has given them. We're like the separate individual ingredients of a homemade, made-from-scratch cookie. 
Well, some of us are butter or sugar, brown sugar or eggs. Others might be vanilla extract, baking soda, hot water or salt, and a few might be flour and several might be nuts, I mean walnuts. Or my favorite, semi-sweet chocolate chips. Then, if you look at that square, the yellow square, the box, God does creaming and beating and stirring and dissolving and adding and stirring again and then dropping by large spoonfuls. You bake for about 10 minutes in a preheated oven or until the edges are nicely browned and voila, chocolate chip cookies. Megan didn't know we were going to have this. She brought me cookies. And if you were in our, our life group, the first time she made cookies, you could get one cookie in each bag. And she said, I tried to make them a little smaller. And I said, why? <laughs> I was able to tell Lee and Cheryl, yeah, we had dessert, but I only ate one cookie. <laughs> I held back. Well, these cookies then, they have what I call crisp edges and soft, chewy middles. Well, when God bakes us to perfection, we become individually members of one another. As followers of Jesus, put together like this recipe as only God can do, we become a vibrant church, the body of Christ, with crisp edges and soft, chewy middles. That does describe some of us, doesn't it? We become members of one another. The one another's. You can find them in the New Testament. There's a whole study on the one another's. The, the most quoted, we won't look at all of them, but I think the most important verses are found in John, the, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13, verses 34, 35, where Jesus said to the disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, oh, that takes it up a notch, doesn't it? that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus said that our witness in this world boils down to one four-letter word. Love. To love one another. And then there are at least 52 other verses or passages in the New Testament, that tell us how to love one another. Paul even includes ideas in this chapter. They represent the heart of God's Word. One another. These two words focus on how believers in the body of Christ are to live in unity. We're commanded in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day, what day? The day of Christ's return approaching. The New Testament view of our Christian faith 
called for community, the assembling of ourselves together for the purpose of fellowship. Fellowship that encourages, stirs up each of us to love, to love more as Jesus loved, to demonstrate to the world that we belong to Jesus. Fellowship that encourages each of us to serve the Lord, to do the good works that each of us has been personally and specifically fashioned and gifted to do. Paul says this much, this much better than I have. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Each of us have differing gifts given to us by God's grace. And the bottom line, according to the Lord, let us use them. Well, we're back where we started. Just do it. Use them. This is the theme of my message this morning. You have a gift. It's different than mine. Well, it may be the same as mine. But even if it is the same, God has fashioned you. He's put you together different than me so that your gift will minister to one another different than mine. Did you hear the M word there? You are gifted by God to minister. This is true for each of us. Remember, we are all ministers. Paul tells us, or Peter tells us, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as, we, as each one has received a gift, minister. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You hold in within yourself. You're the steward of God's grace to others. Minister. Use that gift. The the key thought or question for us this morning then is, how are you, how am I using my gift or my gifts? Your gift might be evident by a natural talent or ability that you possess. Or it may not. It's a gift. It's a spiritual, supernatural gift. And God has endowed you with the spiritual capacity to do it. His Spirit, in fact, will perform it through you as you rest and depend on Him. Our fifth point in the back of the bulletin. These are spiritual gifts, not always learned skills or natural abilities. They're supernatural enablings. The natural use of supernatural capacities. Paul writes about spiritual gifts, not only in this chapter but uh, to Rome, but also to the churches in Corinth and Ephesus. Paul included the gifts that were needed in the early church as a confirming sign, a sign to authenticate the gospel message to the Gentiles also on the missionary trips throughout the Roman Empire. The writer of Hebrews speaks about these gifts in Hebrews chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by, to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts, 
of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Well, now, these gifts include the miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues, healing, working miracles, prophesying. I've gone through Paul's letters and I made a partial list of the spiritual gifts just to give us a sense of what they, uh, what they are. Uh, Pastor Sandy Adams calls them inward motivations. Here's how he says it. I put it as number six on your, on your bulletin. God puts into the heart of every Christian at least one specific motivation. It's an implanted spiritual tendency that colors our perspective and our pursuits. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12 and tells us about the gifts of administration, discernment, faith, helps, knowledge, wisdom. Well, let me just take one of those. and We've been talking about the gift of faith. We find this in chapter 12, verse 9. I'm going to read verse 4 first. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Remember that. But then he lists those gifts. He gets down to verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Verse 3 in our text this morning, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. All believers possess faith to some measure because it's the gift the Spirit bestows on all of us to become uh, Christians to, to bring faith in Christ. The spiritual gift of faith, and there are different measures of it. Many of you have a greater measure of faith than I do. But the spiritual gift of faith is exhibited by someone with a strong, unshakable confidence in God, His Word, His promises, and the power of prayer to effect miracles. A confidence where circumstances and obstacles don't shake this conviction. Our last point in the bulletin. Faith isn't a lack of fear. Don't think that. But it's obedience in spite of our fears. Well, the next group of gifts are demonstrated by our pastors here at Open Gate. The gifts that Paul speaks of in, in Ephesians chapter 4. The first is the gift of evangelism. It's to be a messenger of the good news of the gospel. Coach fits that to a T. Everywhere he goes, he's sharing Christ and leading people to Christ. The next are gifts of pastor and teacher. Coach, Lee, Jared, myself, and Ted are pastors who spiritually care for and protect and guide and feed the believers here at Open Gate because you're entrusted to our care. Well, this brings us back to our text in Romans chapter 12. Let's read verses 6, 7, and 8 and do it responsibly again. I'll read the white print. You read the yellow. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith.
He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Well, let's dig into these seven gifts and see what they're all about. The first one is prophecy. Let prophecy, uh, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. To, prophe- to prophesy is to declare or to speak out the truths of God designed to help others. It might be reproving or admonishing someone or encouraging and comforting someone. The second uh, verse in verse 7 is ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. This can also be called service. Those who identify undone tasks in God's work, no matter how menial, and help to get the job done. This is a supernatural knack for helping others in practical ways. Ministry. In the early church, the deacons waited on tables and ministered to the widows and to the orphans and poor. Number three, he who teaches in teaching. This is instructing others in the scriptures primarily. Someone once said, this person helps earthly minds understand heavenly truth. You've probably noticed that our Sunday morning messages at Open Gate are mostly teaching rather than just preaching. Number four, verse eight. He who exhorts in exhortation. Now the gift of teaching instructs us on what to do. Exhortation encourages us to do it. This person comes alongside others with words of encouragement, comfort, and counsel. Number five, he who gives with liberality. Gifted givers, those are, there are givers, and there are gifted givers. They give joyfully and share what they have with others. It could be money, personal time or attention, giving cheerfully without thought of return. Number six, he who leads with diligence. Leaders are those who attend to the direction of the church with care and diligence. Many of us have this gift, but this also describes our elders. The word literally means to guide and carries with the idea one who steers a ship. Someone with the gift of leadership directs with wisdom and grace and exhibits the fruit of the Spirit in your, in your life as an example. Number seven, finishing verse eight, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now mercy is closely linked with encouragement. It's the unique ability to minister to those who are struggling with doubt or fear or other spiritual battles. Now these are the seven gifts that Paul felt were important for these believers in the church in Rome and for us as well. Now people ask, well how do I discover my gift? Well I have a little exercise I want to take us through to maybe help you see that. Let's just say that one of my great-grandchildren comes running down the aisle carrying a potted plant she's made for me in children's ministry. Hey, kids do nice things for me all the time, all right? Use your imagination. But halfway down the aisle, 
she slips or trips and drops it. Crash. Her, herself, dirt and pottery scattered everywhere. So how do you react? What's the God-implanted spiritual tendency that motivates your reaction to this situation? Now, imagine that you're the person standing in the aisle at the exact spot of the crash. You see that that child is okay. But then, you look up and you start looking for a broom. That means you have the gift of ministry. No matter how menial the task. Well, let's say you pull out your wallet and you want to pay for the broken pot. What's your gift? Giving. Well, let's say that you come to the girl and you help her stand up and you say, Young lady, be warned. Thus saith the Lord. There will be many opportunities to stumble in life. The gift of prophecy. If your reaction is to show her a better way to carry the pot, the potted plant, to stay on her feet and, and next time not stumble, then the gift of teaching. If you think, Oh, we need to rearrange things so kids don't trip over them. The gift of leading. If you give a pep talk to the child, oh, it's okay. Everybody stumbles sometimes. That's the gift of exhortation. If you jump in and you hug the child and you pull out the band-aid that you always have in your pocket, that means you have the gift of mercy. Now understand, all seven of these diverse reactions are going to happen to people throughout this room. And all are valid, God-ordained reactions. This is why we need each other. We need all the gifts. A healthy church appreciates its diversity as it works together for unity. Beginning in verse 9, since we are a diverse body of believers, look around you, okay? Paul moves right into some ways we should respond to each other, to one another. Verses 9 through 21 might be labeled, behave more like Jesus with one another. Well, let's read verses 9 through 13. We'll read them responsibly. You do the white print, I'll do the yellow. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Let's take a close look at these verses and consider specifically what they're telling us. Actually, more to the point, what they're commanding us. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Well, what is hypocritical love? Love that's words only, devoid of action or compassion. I have a friend who would always respond to the phrase, how you doing today? He'd say this, 
Are you just asking? Or do you really want to know? Well, love, if it's not sincere, is only pretense. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Don't just stay away from evil. Abhor it. Despise it. Hate it. Don't let yourself grow immune to the stuff in this world that God abhors. Cling to what is good. Don't just try to do good or to be good. Make it a priority. Embrace good thoughts and actions. Think ahead. Plan to do good. Galatians 6, 9 tells us, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Well, now we come to another of Paul's run-on sentences in verses 10 through 13. Six, 46 words without a break. Well, because of that, this might be a good place for us to stop and commit ourselves to what God has instructed us through Paul to do in this chapter. And I know sometimes we struggle with this, but spectator is not one of the spiritual gifts. We need each other. As the Lord, ask the Lord to show you your spiritual gift, your gifts, your implanted spiritual tendency. In the scenario of the broken potted plant, do you reach for the broom? Or do you reach for your wallet? Maybe you reach out to comfort. Do you say a quick prayer for that child? Do you say a word of wisdom? You might be the one to say a word of encouragement. The church is a living body, the body of Christ. An active, functioning, moving mass of differing people that ministers to one another. And every synonym that I could find for minister was an action verb. Care for, comfort, encourage, help out, look after, support, wait on, watch over. I started thinking about verse 1 of this chapter as I'm closing here. It is a sacrifice to live and minister to one another. That's the living sacrifice God wants us to be. You have to give of your time, your attention, your energy. You have to give of yourself to sacrifice something of yourself. I think this is a big part, a vital part about being a living sacrifice for God. A living sacrifice as followers of believers, as followers of Jesus. So, while that worship group comes on up, ask the Lord to show you your spiritual gift or gifts, your implanted spiritual tendency. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges of this chapter. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't asked us to be your servants only in our own strength, our own abilities, because, Lord, we're just a bunch of failures. But you've given us the gifts, your Spirit, to live for you, to serve you, to minister to one another. Lord, as we pray together now, I would pray that different folks here today would truly seek your wisdom for the gift that you have prepared for them and measured out to them. And that you would challenge them, Lord, to not be a spectator, but be an action verb in the lives of those around them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand and we'll sing a song as we finish up here. It's good to see you here today. I just really have been praying that God would kind of do some working and stirring in our hearts. and Not only give us a greater love for each other, recognize that folks around you need that love. I do. To be loved and cared for. That's a gift that God has given us. And then that he would just... Um, Stir up in you good works. We'd love to have you come up and pray. Uh, Bob's up here and I'm here. And we'd love to just pray with you. God bless you. Have a good day today.